Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Behind Genius, where we look at individuals who help spearhead the success of companies and others. I'm your host, Josh Schlisserman, and today I have a very special guest, Brendan Rogers. Brendan, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be on the show today. Absolutely, absolutely. For those of you who do not know Brendan, he's currently the founder and managing partner of 2AM Ventures by Talent. 2AM is a pre-seed industry agnostic microfund, investing in ambitious founders from all over the world, as well as placing 10 times talent in early stage high growth startups. Previously, Brendan co-founded WAG, the mobile dog walking app that disrupted the global pet service space. Personally, I'm a huge fan. WAG has raised over $360 million in venture capital, most recently $300 million from SoftBank's Vision Fund. Brendan is an active advisor and mentors many company accelerators and universities in the LA Silicon Valley area. He is a frequent contributor to Forbes, a speaker at national conferences, and has appeared on some of the top podcasts in the industry. Before WAG, Brendan co-founded a social discovery service to meet new people, which grew to over 50 million users in over 10 countries and was acquired by IAC in 2014. With all that being said, Brendan, you've been on quite the journey as an entrepreneur. To start off with, what do you think has been the most memorable part? Well, it's a great question. I would say one of the most memorable parts of my entrepreneurial journey is really working alongside other passionate, creative, smart individuals and coming up with products and services that can really benefit tens of millions of people. You know, one of the most magical things that I've really been a part of is actually seeing people use a product or service that you work so hard to create and people in, you know, real, in the real world will actually use the product and you see that in real time. That is um, something that, you know, is, it always gets me every time. I, uh, am re- I'm actually in Florida right now and I was coming out of the grocery store this morning and I saw somebody with the WAG t-shirt on. And uh, I was like, Do you, she was a wag walker and it was, we had a great conversation, but I'm all the way in Florida and it was, it was just a surreal moment. Um, so I, was, I would probably say that. Yeah, that's awesome when you realize, especially from a consumer-centric company standpoint, when someone is an active user and you meet them in person and know they are just as passionate about something that you've created and they're on the other side of things where they're the user rather than the creator. And also with that being said, I feel like many founders talk about the highlights of their journey, but what are some of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome and the biggest lessons you've learned along the way? Yeah, I think some of the biggest challenges that I've overcome and just the lessons that I've learned is to, you know, really build a an amazing culture from day one and having a transparent culture from day one and scaling that as you hire at rapid pace some of these high growth companies they hire so quickly and it's hard to keep the culture that you once had when you first started the business so some of the challenges that i faced is really you know working um with my co-founders and whatnot with wag specifically on how to you know maintain a great culture and how to you know make sure that hiring um, you know and keeping that high quality bar is always met. 
Um, and I think a lot of people that start businesses that get traction really early on, there's a lot of growing pains that comes along with having this high growth. Everybody wants, you know, up into the right growth. And, you know, sometimes there's a lot of businesses that are not, they're not, they don't have the technology that's actually scalable. They may not have enough people. So it's, it's really hard to kind of deal with those growing pains. Absolutely. And let's stick on the topic of workplace culture for a second here. I was reading an article this morning from Brian Chesky from the CEO of Airbnb. And it was an article that he wrote back in 2014 that was titled, Don't the uh, Workplace Culture. Thankfully, I don't have to bleep that out in the editing. But a lot of it I think was really poignant and even more poignant now because in light of COVID-19, I think there's going to be a much greater emphasis on building a coherent workplace culture early on and how it scales when you become a larger company. So from you, how is workplace culture built top down, bottom up? Who does it start with and where does it end? I think it's a great question. I think that um, it starts with for sure, like it's, it is top down when you first start, like from literally day one, but you really, one thing that I've noticed that really helps culture scale, especially from the early days of starting a business is being transparent and being transparent with your employees and having those weekly all hand meetings, having those one-on-ones with your direct reports or reaching out to your manager or the person that you report to and making sure that you get in that one-on-one time where you can discuss, you know, things that are going well and things that you want to work on, etc. But I would say just transparency is something that I think really helps scales culture and also really, you know, sur- surrounding yourself and hiring people that are extremely passionate by the mission and the core values of the business. You know, with WAG, I mean our early employees were dog walkers already in their lives. They um, volunteered at pet shelters. They were just very, very driven by the overall mission and the core values of the business that we created. And that really helps solidify and build a great foundation early on. So transparency, you know, making sure that you are, you know, telling your employees, you know, the wins and the losses that maybe you've experienced, you know, as a leader in the company, potential like roadmap stuff, all that stuff really helps early on, really building a great foundation for culture. And and I believe that culture is not one with, you know, kombucha and LaCroix and all of this type of stuff. Like it is, it does add great value and it does, you know, it's a great perk as you hit milestones, but culture is really driven by, the people you work with and the passion that each person has for the company that they're building. And that's, that's the, those are my immediate thoughts on how to really build culture. Let's stick on culture just a little bit more because something that I'm really fascinated by recently in a horrifying way is how layoffs have been conducted. I look at the situation of gravity payments, Dan Price, and how he conducted layoffs versus the way Travis at Bird conducted layoffs. And I think about it and I'm thinking, all right, if I'm someone who's seeking employment post-COVID-19, 
would I rather work at a potentially smaller company, but that really values their workforce and the opinions of their workforce? Or do I work at a larger company that's going to grow really quickly again, just due to the space that it's in? How does the way you hire talent and likewise also release talent affect your brand? Yeah, I think that like that's, you're coming with the hot questions. These are great questions. Um, I mean, I think that it's when you hire talent, you want to hire first and foremost, it, it really depends on what stage of the company that you're at. I personally believe that there's people that thrive in startups, you know, one through 50. And I think there's people that thrive, you know, 500 to a thousand. And I think some of those people can't work in those different types of the business and that's fine. But really identifying, you know, people's um, passions and if they're driven by the business that you're creating, you know, those are great ways to, you know, find amazing talent and really kind of weed out people that are just wanting to be a part of something because of high growth. I mean, if, if I was looking at um, joining a company that is smaller, that really values talent, or going to a company that's like a super hot space where all this VC money is pouring into, I wouldn't look at, I would look at it as what am I personally passionate about and what do I want to wake up every single day for and fight for and be in the trenches. And it, it wouldn't matter if it's a company that is, you know, smaller or larger or, or whatnot. That's my personal belief. Like I would want to wake up every single day passionate about where I'm working and who I'm working with and for, and like what, you know, on the weekends, am I going to want to work for a company or people like this? And um, that's how I would evaluate it. And then from like a release standpoint, I mean, I'm not too familiar with the situation. I did read the story about Bird. Um, you know, regardless, laying layoffs is, is not fun. It's actually like, you know, it's very difficult for hiring managers. I can't imagine what, you know, the CEO going through that. But I personally believe that, you know, the people, especially in startups, like you give, you sacrifice a lot of things to be part of startups. And I think from a respect level and also, you know, you're, if you're probably going to either work with these individuals again, or you want to always keep that high, you know, high personal brand bar as high as possible. And I think that when I think about releasing employees is, you know, I'm someone that, once I never burn bridges and I want to keep that, that bar as high as possible. So I would have personally, you know, have conversations with, with folks one-on-one, you know, because, you know, it may not be this company, but maybe you work with that person again at the next company or the one after that, you know what I mean? Like you want to have that reputation. Definitely. And that one-on-one attention is exactly actually for those of you who aren't familiar with gravity payments or Dan price, that's exactly what Dan price did. He went to each and every employee in his company and said, what do I do? And the end conclusion was they all took salary reductions. He actually only pays himself $70,000 and any employee who works at his company gets paid at least what he gets paid or more. That's his personal philosophy. I think that also there's, it also kind of, you open up a bunch of skeletons when you see these massive layoffs because you question like from an outsider looking in kind of when I put on my investor hat, you know, you feel extremely bad for these employees across all these tech companies, but you look at the 
the growth rate of hiring and you're like the hiring, like, you know, these companies are adding hundreds, if not thousands of people per year. And I ask myself with my VC hat on is, are these people actually providing value to the core product that are generating revenue? And I'm sure that there's a lot of people that got laid off that were, but my understanding is like, are these people, like, can you get to the same place with less people? I feel like a lot of these companies hired so quickly that they got so bloated in these specific orgs where like they, it was almost like gonna, the, you know, the, the dominoes fell, you know what I mean? And it's like, I would hire, I would first like, you know, going through the product roadmap and I would only hire people that I think I need to drive, you know, the core product and the revenue that's generating the business. I could not agree more. And I think in a way, this has been a wake-up call for a lot of founders about how to grow and scale a company and proper ways to hire and retain talent without, in the future, if something like this were to happen, to conduct massive layoffs. With that being said, I, I want to go back to something you said earlier, which is transparency. And I think that is a huge issue right now with hiring. Currently, there are tens of millions of individuals unemployed right now and i look at linkedin and i see all these jobs available that have even been posted for months and even weeks ago and yet i see one many of these companies coming back to these applicants and saying oh we're on a hiring freeze right now we won't even conduct interviews and then two i see a lot of these companies also automating responses for rejecting applicants how does that affect brand and do you Mm -hmm. think companies need to give a little bit more personalization when it comes to hiring talent yeah um i actually did a couple linkedin posts on this exact issue with having stale job postings and also companies putting jobs up on their career site even though their hiring is paused just because they don't want to either have press write about them or they don't want to look like they're failing or there's some sort of, you know, hiring freeze. You know, I think that every, the way that, the way that I look at it is the recruiting team specifically needs to make sure that like all the jobs are like, you need to have jobs that are, if they're open, they're open. And if they're not, they're not, you have to be super transparent. You cannot have, you, you are sacrificing your candidate experience and you're sacrificing your brand you've worked so hard to build. So, I mean, I think that there needs to be a way more of a white glove service where, you know, if companies are not hiring, they need to take down jobs. And if they are hiring, or if there are people that are applying for jobs that are not, that are stale or whatnot, automated responses are, I think, with some of these companies get so many applicants that it's hard to write individual personalized messages to each candidate. So I get that. And I think that, I think automating that with those responses are from when you're an Uber and you have 500 jobs you're hiring for, like you can't respond to every single person. However, I think that there needs to be more of a white glove service where they get, when you do get, if you get rejected, there should be more of a, because you don't, you reject most people, but there should be some sort of way where you can be, have a more of a white glove service when you do reject someone. Because 
And a lot of people apply to these jobs and there is no rejection email. There's nothing. It's like, I'm just throwing my resume into somewhere where like, I don't hear back at all. And I spent hours developing a cover letter. I critique my resume for this job. Word of mouth is like the, the, is either it's a curse or it's a blessing. And like when you apply to a job and you hear nothing and you don't even know if the job's even available, like that person is probably going to tell people that. And that just make, makes that company look bad and provides such a bad recruiting experience. So I personally think that there should be a cap per the amount of applicants that can apply to a job. And then the recruiter has to go through all of, say, Say there was like a back-end engineering job at Uber, only 100 people can apply and that's it. And then the recruiter has to go through those 100 people and get back to them. And then they can start collecting more resumes. That's what I think should happen. I think that's actually a really interesting idea and concept. But what happens when candidates are rejected, not because of a cap, but rather because their recent job title doesn't exactly match the position that they're applying for, or they get overlooked because they're a little junior or even senior for it. Why would a cap, would a cap help solve that issue? Yeah, I think that it would be like, again, I think it's like if there was a cap of the applicants that were applying, I think that you could at least give more context to each of the individuals. You know what I mean? Like, if that person isn't, if that person is junior or may not have the exact title, then you can provide clarity around that. But again, I think that there's a lot of like, just because you don't have the exact title or background, I still think that you can still make great hires with people that have, they don't have that, that background. You know what I mean? I can't tell you the amount of people at WAG that, uh, that got hired for roles that like they, they had other types of backgrounds. You know what I mean? Like we've had, we had a data analyst that came in as an IC data analyst, very SQL heavy and became a senior PM within six months because this had great product experience. And like, yeah, it was like, it was great. It was unbelievable to, wow. to work with someone like that. And so, yeah, I just think that there needs to be like, like more of like a white glove service. There needs to be a better candidate experience, especially during these times, because there's so many people that are applying to so many jobs. And like, you see, like even on LinkedIn, like hundreds of, of people are applying to these jobs and you're like, is the recruiters actually going through all of these people? And probably not. So that's why I'm always like, build your personal brand, build your network. Um, a lot of times, you know, having a warm referral is going to probably get you in front of the line instead of, you know, just throwing your resume in a pile. So like having, having that network, and I'm like a big believer in continuously always be building your network, et cetera. Amazing. And so to kind of go into WAG a little bit more, you know, your main responsibilities amongst them were recruiting and retaining talent. What are some of the unknown best practices for identifying and securing talent at an early stage startup in the consumer space? Yeah, I would say like really, so first of all, finding talent, um, really, you know, finding other like-minded businesses where it's sort of in the same space. So for an example, uh, we launched in 2014. That was right when like DoorDash launched. It was about two years after Instacart launched. Uh, sourcing people that have worked early at like-minded industries, um, like the gig economy businesses and stuff like that are, are great ways to find great talent. I personally 
love to hire people that have side hustles. You know, if you started a podcast or like people that like, especially that early on in a startup, maybe one through 50, one through 75, you know, having these traits where people have kind of own the process and own CEO. Like I'm a big believer in everybody should be their own CEO of their life, but more so like their career and stuff like that. So finding people that, you know, have backgrounds that are relatable to the job, but more so digging deep and seeing like, have they started side hustles? Have they done been on sports teams? Have they done leadership groups? Whatever the case may be, those are great ways to identify great early talent for early stage startups. And then to retain, to retain talent, you know, again, I think it really comes down to transparency and, and not having a culture where there's micromanaging, there's autonomy. As we're seeing during this, the COVID crisis is that, you know, there's so many companies before this crisis that were like, you know, I would never let my employees work from home. But now there's companies that, that all, every company has to have their employees work from home and like they have to do it. And now they're actually receptive to this. So it's like, Having that actually, I think, really ignites culture. But having autonomy, giving your uh, direct, giving your employees autonomy, not micromanaging, you know, trusting, um, and and trust is a two way street. You know, like you want to hire people that you know that are going to execute, and you want, you know, your employees to trust you and whatnot. But um, I think that just having transparency again, autonomy, and trust is the way to retain to retain talent, and not and if people are burnt out then like, or people are just like kind of at their, at their ceiling. That's why the one-on-ones are so important because you always want to temperature gauge your employees. What about, cause I heard this from another founder who said they will only hire employees that use their product. What's your opinion on hiring employees who use your product solely? So I think that, I mean, I think that's, I would never just hire people that have just used the product, but I think that early adopters to your product could be great hires. We've, we, at WAG, we had a couple of people that were either very early on walkers on the platform or very early on customers. And they would just continuously email bugs and like, you know, this is where I think, you know, this is what I think you should focus on, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, like, I think that early adopters can be great hires, but I wouldn't like just hire people that own my that you use my product. Um, I think that's kind of silly. I'm starting to see that we're starting to run out of time, but I, I think we got time for two more questions before the quick fire round. So one of the things that I think is probably on the mind of a lot of people, I know it's on the mind of me, certainly even right now, I was just discussing with you before the podcast was when's the right time to make the leap from employee of a startup to founder of your own startup. Um, that's a really tough question. I think that when you have like this itch that you want to scratch that like keeps coming back and haunting you where you're like, I wish that there was a service for this. I wish there was a product that could take care of this issue. I think that when you are losing sleep and you're something inside of you keeps telling you like, I, I want to do it. I got to do it. I think that's the time to, to take the plunge. But I think what's interesting is if you, jo- I think that you can, if you join an early stage startup and it's, and if you're not like a technical, like and your product manager or whatnot, I think that if you go in as like a, or even if you're an engineer or whatnot, but you can 
wear many hats in a startup early on and you can learn so many different things that you may have no idea like that you were good at it. You know, I, when I, when I started WAG, I didn't do recruiting at all. I was zero recruiting. I did nothing. I did all, op, all operations and stuff like that. But I realized over time that we need to hire all these engineers as we scaled. And, you know, I wanted, I, you know, went up to the plate and took a swing and I was like, I'll hire engineers. So like startups are great. Like as a, as a training ground for your business, because you can go in, learn so much, scale really quickly through the org. I've never seen so many interns become, you know, head of organizations before within a startup. And I think that can really start the creative juices for flowing once you get that experience, especially if you join a company that if you're fortunate enough to have like a high growth, you know, journey and whatnot. But I would say, you know, when the, when the itch, when it just keeps haunting you, that's a great way to, uh, to take the first plunge or maybe you find somebody that you're like, wow, I wish I could work with this person. We have a great relationship. That could be a great time. Or when you start at a comp at a startup and you learn so much, it could be a good time after you've had that experience. And one last question before we get to the quick fire round. I think another important part of before you start a startup is cultivating a network of not only potential co-founders and employees that you can hire, but also investors, advisors, channel partners. And so you've done an excellent job of cultivating your network on LinkedIn. But you have over 40,000 personal connections. How do you engage your audience to effectively help them or have them help you? How do you build these meaningful connections? I know you can't do it with every single one, but how, how do you build it with your audience? So I really doubled and tripled down a year and a half ago on LinkedIn because I knew that you know, WAG is just a, is a chapter in my life and that there's going to be a lot more chapters in my life. So I doubled and tripled down on building a personal brand and talked about my startup journey through LinkedIn. And that was a platform for me to really have my voice and share my stories. But for me, my strategy on LinkedIn is I have a three pillar content approach where I only talk about what I love and that's startups, recruiting and culture. That's all I talk about. If you read my posts on LinkedIn, I never talk about anything else besides startup recruiting and culture. And I have this three pillar content approach where a lot of my followers and a lot of the people that I engage with are very relevant to those three content pillars. So the way I engage them is continuously providing amazing content um, to those individuals and, you know, reaching out as much as possible, either, you know, building my, uh, as I build my recruiting firm, reaching out to new, new partners, hiring, uh, engineers and folks like that from the companies that I, uh, consult for. Um, it's hard to obviously respond to everyone, but just providing relevant content that is based on my three content pillars is a way that I continuously engage my following, um, over time. With all of that, we're going to go into the quick fire round here. Basically, we're going to try to get it done in under two minutes. Whatever first comes to your mind, just let it go. All right. Don't even think about <laughs> it. I might ask some curveballs in here. Extrovert or introvert? Extrovert. Vision or action? Action. Los Angeles or San Francisco or Florida? <laughs> <laughs> LA slash Florida. 
<laughs> Why not San Francisco, love? I used to live there, and it's uh, I don't know. I it's just it's too saturated right now. I think that uh, you know, there's other places in the world to be successful than Silicon Valley in tech. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. Side note, disclaimer: I love USF peeps, though. <laughs> um, prefer working at a large company or a small company? Small company all day. Sweatpants, shorts, t-shirt. <laughs> Nice, nice. Who's your biggest inspiration? My mother and father and my girlfriend. What's your favorite book? Uh, the Startup of You by Reid Hoffman. I actually, that's one of the first books in startup world that I, I ever read. It's a great one. It's a great one. Highly recommended to my audience. It's funny. I, I get different answers for this question all the time. And I read a lot of the books that a lot of the people that I brought on here and they're all great and great for different reasons. So very much recommend this one, especially if you're trying to figure yourself out as an individual. Let's see. What's your favorite personal hobby? Uh, working out. Biggest pet peeve as a recruiter. Candidates taking too long to accept an offer. Explain that a little bit more. I think that's actually interesting. So obviously when you speak to candidates that are very active in the job market, they're talking to multiple companies and either you know, it's almost like Shark Tank when you give a, an offer and they, the person's like, oh, let me hear what Mark Cuban has to say now. You're like, well, <laughs> do, you really want, do you really want to be here? You don't want to be here. And it's totally cool to like let obviously people feel it out and get other offers. But I think that there needs to be like a hard stop on when the person needs to accept. So that's kind of, if I were to elaborate, that's kind of what I mean. Got you. No, really, really helpful for the audience out there. Two more questions before we wrap this up. One word to describe yourself. Passionate. And what was the favorite part of being a part of WAG? Uh, waking up every day and working alongside amazing people that um, have given me an opportunity of a lifetime and also helping out uh, dog walkers with side hustles and really helping out pet parents that are in a bind where they need someone to go walk their dog. But uh, that, I mean, that journey, it was, you know, it's not about when you start, it's not about when you end it. It's like what's in the middle and the relationships and what you learn and how you grow as an individual, um, you know, forever grateful for that opportunity and experience. For those of you out there, focus on the small moments. And with that being said, that is all the time we have on Behind Genius. Brendan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute blast. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And if you want to hear more content on Behind Genius, go to our website, behindgenius.com. All my personal social media accounts and professional media accounts are on there. I'm happy to connect with anyone. Also, go follow Brendan on LinkedIn. He posts great content daily. And do you, do you got any other social media accounts where you're posting content daily? That's it. I, uh, my philosophy is uh, stick to the platform that you know and stick to where your audience is. And LinkedIn is uh, where my audience is. So just LinkedIn. Great. Follow him on LinkedIn. Do it now. Don't even hesitate. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in. And I hope you have a successful venture ahead of you.